0: So we're continuing uh, Jonah's journey, and we're tracing here uh, the backsliding in a believer. Even a man like Jonah, mightily used of God in the past, can go away from God. But the way of the backslider is hard. Uh, God has commanded him to go to uh, Nineveh, uh, the largest city in the Assyrian Empire, to preach the gospel to them. Jonah thinks he knows better and he's saying to himself there's no way God can tell me to go there because I've been used against these people no no God must want me to go to Spain so he's going in the opposite direction that's what backsliding is about and God now even though at first the way opened very easily for Jonah God is bringing him back as only God can with those cords of love, so Jonah found a ship in Joppa uh, that was sailing to Tarshish in Spain, and uh, he went into the uh, cabin and fell asleep and then, as they 're in the middle of the Mediterranean sea, God brings a storm, and that storm God uses uh, not just to wake Jonah from physical sleep but to wake him up spiritually. And he now is beginning to come to his senses. And we left off last time with the sailors having cast lots to see who's to blame for this storm. And the lot is uh, pointing to Jonah. And Jonah is basically saying, Mia culpa. It's my fault. My friend, unless you have said that to God, you are still backslidden, as am I. Uh, There's a blues song which says, nobody's faults, but mine. Now, I know we can blame ourselves when we are not to blame, but the essence, I think, uh, of coming to our senses spiritually is a tender heart, a fear of God that's where we finished last time you see up till this point Jonah was more afraid not so much of the unbelieving sailors but of the jews back home uh, what would they say if i was to go to Nineveh i would be offending them and so Jonah instead of fearing God and trusting God and leaving the consequences with God He's taking things into his own hands and this fear of man brings a snare. It traps us and now, thank God, the Lord is delivering Jonah from this. And last time we looked at his identity, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. But Jonah's got much to learn now in the school of Christ and we're going to look at some of the lessons now in the next few weeks. That's Jonah and we are going to learn in the school of Jesus Christ. I'm sure many of us will say, looking at Jonah, it's not just Jonah who's backslidden, but I'm backslidden. Maybe not outwardly. I'm faithful in the things of God, but in my heart, I'm not what I was. And I just want us to learn some of these lessons that Jonah is learning in the school of Christ. There's no better place as a Christian and the school of Jesus Christ. You don't have to go to Bible college, an excellent place to go to, but you can go to the School of Christ and not go to uh, seminary. Uh, so I want us to look at two lessons tonight that Jonah is going to learn to begin with in the School of Christ. And I think these are the two most vital lessons that we need to learn and they're all to do with grace do you know what grace is when we describe God as a God of grace no that's not right God is not just a God of grace he's a God of all grace he's a God of grace multiplied upon grace what does it mean it means this grace is undeserving favor Uh, you know it's said of some people um, especially pastors uh, that somehow we deserve uh, to go to heaven because we're doing Christian work. Oh no, 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 no! That that's the opposite of Christianity. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve, and that's how God deals with us. And there are two kinds of grace that Jonah needs to relearn. He knew about them, but he's forgotten. And these are the two graces we need uh, to learn. And uh, maybe before I. Uh, get us to look at them. I discovered um, this um, Afro-American song. Um, They're linked to the blues, uh, talking about me a culpa. It's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not the preacher nor the deacon, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Well, let's look first at what I want to call General grace. Um, in the old uh, books, it's called common grace. I don't like the word common grace. <laughs> uh, it gives the impression that it's something uh, to be despised. No, this is God's general grace. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, look at what happens here to Jonah. Uh, where are we? Verse 10. The men, the sailors, were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? And Jonah then explains it's because he's running away from god god has brought the storm upon them and this is the anger of god upon jonah so if they cast jonah into the sea the anger of god will be pacified and they will be saved now what is god's general grace this is god's general grace verse 13 the men tried to save jonah's life what is general grace These men who are not believers at this stage, they were Phoenician sailors. They were hard men. They did not believe in the God of Israel. At this point, they didn't. God's general grace is his undeserving favor upon everybody, believer and unbeliever. There is no distinction. And what amazes me here is this. Uh, One commentator describes it, the mariner's mercy. Mariners is an old fashioned word for sailors. The mariner's mercy. So these are people who are not believers. But look at their behavior. They go out of their way to try and save Jonah. They don't want to throw him out of the ship, they don't want him to drown. They try to row him to dry land Uh, so if you look at um, the words I think the new King James is bringing it out in verse 13 nevertheless the men rode hard Uh, the word in the Hebrew there they dug in they put all their efforts to try and deliver Jonah but they could not for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them didn't Jonah need to learn this lesson that unbelievers are still human beings. You see, Jonah despised going to Nineveh because he viewed himself, I think, as a cut above those unbelievers. God is teaching him here, Jonah, you are in the same boat as unbelievers. And these unbelievers can be as kind if not kinder than the lord's people now please don't take this the wrong way but haven't you found it to be the case sometimes that your unbelieving relatives your unbelieving workmates your unbelieving friends treat you kinder than people in the church have you had that experience it says a lot about the state of the church but it also says a lot about God and his common grace. I, I sometimes read an article written by an unbeliever and there is more insight into the state of the world than what you read in a Christian publication. Do you know what that is? That's God's common grace. I'm calling it common grace out of habit. God's general grace upon Everybody, I love what Palmer Robertson. Uh, he was um, the speaker in uh, Mysorekuma last year. This is what he, he says: What a reproach this was to Jonah, seeing the kindness of these unbelievers. After all, uh, the reason that he was on the ship was the hardness of hearts that he had towards Gentiles. He, the believer, closes his heart towards. Uh, the massive metropolis of Nineveh. Although his people had experienced the grace of God for generations, Jonah closes his heart to another people. But in dramatic contrast, these coarse sailors do everything they can to spare the life of Jonah, even after he has caused the loss of all their cargo and now may cause the loss of their life. God's general grace Oh, don't unbelievers sometimes put us to shame by their sheer kindness. There's a saying, the milk of human kindness. My friends, I've heard of things that have gone on in reformed evangelical churches, and there's no kindness there. There's more kindness in the world. They put us to shame. But at the same time, It's God's common grace. We can thank God for his, let me say it the right way, general grace. I just want, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but this is an important lesson for Jonah and for us. Because when we despise God's general grace, we tend to think that everything of God is to be found in the church amongst his people that there is nothing good in the world do you know what that's called that's called pietism and there's still some pietism in evangelicalism today so I just want very briefly to open this up a bit God's general grace grace undeserving gifts God showers his gifts on believer and unbeliever I'm thinking of the words of Jesus Christ here in the sermon on the mount I think Uh, God the Father, He causes His Son to rise on the just and the unjust. He causes His rain to fall on the just, the believer, and the unjust. God's gifts, uh, the gift of kindness which we're looking at here tonight, the gift of insight which I've already mentioned, but there are other gifts of God. He showers on all and sundry there are no distinctions god doesn't say a person has to be a christian before they are gifted in my general grace no let me give some examples i don't want us to be pietists i want us to love the world we're not of the world but we are to love humanity as God's creatures and seek to bring the gospel to them but see them as well as human beings now you probably know from my uh, sermons I haven't got a sporting bone in my body there's nothing right but even I a non-footballer admired George Best the Northern Ireland player he's died now all the examples I'm going to give are dead people because it's safer the word beautiful game for football really applied to George Best. But his lifestyle was anything but God's general grace. Uh, I enjoy art. Uh, Some of the great artists of the Renaissance period. Caravaggio, one of my favourites. He was a murderer, a murderer yet he produced great works of arts i enjoy reading i've never been able to cope with shakespeare but he's supposed to be the greatest english-speaking writer there are some parts of shakespeare that are rude. common general grace aw tozer who was a most spiritual man he used to read shakespeare on his knees i don't quite agree with that (laughs) because he saw in god's general grace that this man was gifted i've got to get us to think i'm mentioning dead people Don't you like singing? One of the greatest voices of the last century, Freddie Mercury. His lifestyle was very immoral. Common grace. God showers his gifts upon all and sundry. And what we can do then is enjoy God's world. And take the good things of God without condoning the particular lifestyle of the people. So Jonah here, he shouldn't have been worried. Were these sailors godly men? Could he be in the same boat as such and such people? General grace. I don't want to take that too far, but it is a lesson we constantly need to learn. Uh, appreciating God's general grace Uh, did you enjoy singing uh, that uh, first hymn I really love uh, that alternative version because we don't have this stanza in the version in Christian hymns of how great thou art when through the woods and forest glades I wander, and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur And hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze enjoying god in his creation that's slightly different from common grace but we sang in the third hymn horatius boner's words praise in the common the everyday things of life it's goings out and ends now sometimes i have young christians people who are young in the faith ask me should i watch something should i listen to something should i read something Should I go somewhere? And more often than not, I refuse to answer yes or no. Because unless the Bible tells us we are not bound. But what I do say is something along these lines. Can you do this? And ask God's blessing. That's That's common grace, isn't it? We use the world and are not abused by the world. General grace. I find that more challenging than a list of rules. And incidentally, if I was to give you a list of things you could do and couldn't do, (laughs) the problem is, even the things I would allow you to do, you'd still do in a sinful way. If it was done out of the wrong reasons now that's the first thing god's common grace general grace but the second lesson that jonah has to learn here uh, this is even more important and you can guess what it is it's god's special grace god's special grace so god's general grace is his gift upon every body unbeliever or uh, believer but his special grace as the word says is just for believers right just for believers and uh, here oh this is a wonderful uh, sign uh, jesus christ when he was here on earth he said the sign of jonah in another place he said i am the greater than jonah so we see in what these sailors do to jonah a sign of the special grace of god in jesus christ so what happens they are so kind to him god's general grace but they can't row him to dry land so in the end they have to hurl him into the sea so they picked him up verse 15 and threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging now what is there in those words uh, pointing to god's special grace there is a theological word and it's substitution substitution substitutionary sacrifice substitutionary love what do I mean by that let's think of examples substitution it means a person standing in the place of another person so Jonah is saying this storm is God's righteous anger against us and it needs to be pacified and if I'm thrown into the storm. That storm will go away. Um, Have you been horrified looking at these um, bushfires in Australia? It's really terrible, isn't it? And I'm even more moved, not horrified, moved by the actions of the firemen. And especially those who volunteered to be firemen and who've lost their own lives going into those fires to try and save other people so you can imagine a fireman who doesn't live in a particular place but to save the people of that place he's substituted himself for them he's gone into the fire in order to save them substitutionary love it's an amazing thing Uh, since I've said that we're not pietists um, I'm going to give an example now of substitutionary love from a charles dickens novel now we wouldn't sell charles dickens in our bookshop because it's a christian bookshop but oh charles dickens is wonderful at drawing different characters have you read his tale of two cities uh, there are two characters there they look the same they look exactly the same uh, charles darnay and sydney carton and it's written during the french revolution when people were put to death by guillotine or one of the cruelest forms of death and Charles Darny is imprisoned in Paris. He's convicted and he's there in the cell awaiting execution. He's about to be guillotined. And then Sidney Carton, who loves Darny, wants to save him. So what does he do? He sneaks into his cell and they swap clothes and Darney escapes. And his friend goes to the guillotine. Substitutionary love. Substitutionary sacrifice. So Carton is killed so that Dani can go free. Uh, it is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. That's what he said. How much more better? is what Jesus Christ did. So I think Jonah here, as an Israelite, would have remembered what happened on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Yom Kippur, what the Lord's people did once a year, they chose two lambs or two goats as a sacrifice, and one goat was put to death, and the blood of that goat was sprinkled upon the people, ...to forgive their sins... ...and then the other goats... ...the priest or the high priest... ...laid his hands on that other goats... ...and confessed the sins... ...of all God's people upon it... ...and do you know what that goat was called? The scapegoats... ...good isn't it? The scapegoats... ...and the scapegoats then was released... ...into the wilderness... ...as a sign... ...what was the sign? The sign was this... ...as a result of the sacrifice... ...of one goat... ...the sins of the people... Uh, are completely taken away. And isn't that what Jonah is a sign of here? It doesn't actually happen, but it's a sign. Uh, It does happen in the sense that the storm is quietened, but nothing happens to sin. Jonah here, by drowning in the waves, is sacrificed so that the sins that uh, have come upon the people are taken away. Oh, my friends, uh, Jesus Christ, is the much greater than Jonah? How can I uh, put it into words? Words are not enough for me to describe what Jesus Christ did. Jonah was disobedient, and his sacrifice took him in the right direction. Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, was not disobedient. He was completely submissive to his father's will. Jonah, when he went under the waves, he was dealing with a local storm, wasn't he? It was simply uh, the sins of a number of people that uh, were kind of being carried away. But when Jesus went to the cross as the scapegoat, do you know how many sins he was bearing upon his shoulders? He was bearing the sins of all of God's people up to that time. He was bearing the sins of all that would believe on him since then. Billions and trillions of sins. It, it, It was not just... Uh, across uh, time it was sins past present future everything Jonah didn't die we'll see that next time Jesus died without shedding of blood there is no remission he died Jonah when he was thrown into the deep He didn't sink to the bottom. He was swallowed by a whale. Even if he would have sunk to the bottom, he still would have been found. As a scapegoat now, he still would have been found. When Jesus carries our sins, what what does the hymn say? Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins. Far away. Not just into the depth, of the ocean not just into the bottom of the ocean what's the deepest ocean trench in the world i'm thinking of my geography now the mariana trench in the pacific not even down to the depths of the mariana trench because they could have been found he took them to the bottomless place because they're no more no more wow no more condemnation because Jesus Christ has borne them all. Hallelujah. What a savior. God's special grace. Don't you love God's general grace? I, I love the fact that our God is a God who showers his gifts upon all and sundry. I love that. But I love even more the fact that God in his special grace has dealt with me and with people like you in a completely undeserving way. That Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. He loved his church. Even though we're a motley crew that sometimes behaves worse than the unbelieving world, he still loves her. And having loved her, he will love her. To the very end. Aren't you more amazed at his special grace? Uh, during the revival in Congo, they wrote to him, Oh, how the grace of God amazes me. I believe with all my heart that the two lessons we need to learn more than anything else in the school of Christ, if we are to return to the Lord, is the general grace of God, but his special grace more than other. I, I've got my therapy book here. Um, do you know what I write in this? If you don't mind me sharing this. I know those of you who are older, struggle uh, with uh, uh, those of us who mention uh, uh, mental health in public, but this is the trend now. So <laughs> what I write in this ...is if I have an automatic thought... ...you know if you have an anxious thought come to you... ...I've got to write... ...what evidence is there... ...that proves this thought... ...and then I've got to write... ...what evidence disproves this thought... ...it's very helpful, very helpful... ...is there anybody here... ...this evening who has... ...spiritual automatic thoughts... ...is there anybody here... ...I know some of you have shared with me over the years... Do you have a horrible thoughts that because you've sinned that you are not loved by Jesus Christ or worse, you are not saved because you've sinned? Is there somebody tormented by that horrible automatic thoughts? You can't do anything about it. It just comes to you. Sometimes it's the devil. Sometimes it's just you. What do you do? You do the same as I do here. You look at the evidence. What proves... This thought, well, it's obvious I am a sinner. <laughs> I fall into sin. Williams Spantellin said, Do you forgive falling a hundred times to the same sin? I am a sinner, you are sinners. But this is what I want to mention. Then what's the evidence that disproves it? Do you know what? The special grace of God in Jesus Christ. What do you do when these horrible thoughts come upon you? When you have doubts, when you have uh, an oppression because you feel yourself to be full of sin? What do you do? You don't hide from the fact. You confess that you're a sinner. But, and this is the but, you take that sin and you look to Jesus Christ. And what's the evidence there? Do you know what the evidence is there? The evidence is this. He has taken my sin and he has borne the punishments and the wrath of God has poured itself out on him and there's not one drop left to fall on me and all I've got now are devilish thoughts or my own OCD which has a spiritual effect on me isn't that spiritual therapy for you? You see, cognitive behavioral therapy isn't new. It's in the Bible. It's, it's in the Old Testament. C- can I... I've got a um, top lady coming out of me morning and evening at the moment, but it was a difficult hymn to sing, because it's not like... Uh, it's not light, is it? But that second hymn, th- this is what you've got to do. This is why the special grace of God is so, so precious. From where has this fear and unbelief come from? Be honest. This is the evidence that this proves it. Has not the father put to grief his spotless son for me? And will then the righteous judge of men... Remember now, God is the judge of all the earth. He cannot punish somebody twice. Will the righteous judge of men condemn me for that debt of sin which Lord was charged on the he can't do it he can't god would have to go against his character and then top lady i'm sure top lady was doing this therapy you know complete atonement complete thou hast made and to the utmost thou hast paid what thy people owed and here it is again this cognitive behavioral therapy how then can wrath On me take place, if sheltered in thy righteousness and sprinkled with thy blood. I've been discharged, set free, free not to do what I want, but to serve Jesus Christ. My conscience isn't bound to people and the fears and expectations of people, even God's people. My conscience now is bound to the word of God. That's freedom for you. Turn my soul unto your rest. Oh, I've got to finish here. But are you at rest, Christian? The backslider isn't at peace. Are you at rest because you realise the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? Are you at rest because you don't have to have a list approved by the pastor and elders of do's and don'ts you've got the word of god as the roadmap for your soul you've got the holy spirit within you you've got your conscience to guide you and you're oh you're going out into the world following jesus christ and wanting to enjoy his good gifts you're in the world but you're not of the world yes there are things you can't do because they drag you down But, oh, you want to follow him. And what sets you free and makes you rest more than anything is the amazing thoughts that he has taken my sin. The wrath of God has been deflected. The word is propitiation. Uh, It means the wrath of God pacified. The wrath of God turned away. Because Jesus Christ is my shield and protector. You know, we're not going through this world alone. We're not going through this world as a pathetic group of people uh, forever getting into our ghettos, forever apologizing for what we believe in. We are going through this world with the protection of Jesus Christ. We are going through this world as an army of the people of God. And we are going through this world with Jesus leading and we are going through this world not with a bunker mentality but with a gospel to declare this is what I love about our God he's got a sense of humor why was Jonah on the boat Jonah was on the boat because he was running away from becoming an evangelist to unbelieving Gentiles Um, I think R.T. Kendall said, R.T. Kendall's commentary on Jonah is brilliant. R.T. Kendall said, God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. He uses Jonah's disobedience to bring unbelieving Gentiles to believe in him. God is going to restore Jonah and use him in Innovae. But in the meantime, this is the grace of God for you. Undeserving. These mariners are saved. Do you believe that? They're saved. So Jonah's disobedience or Jonah coming to his senses is used by God to save. I find that quite amazing. Before I finish, let me just give you some evidence. Yes, they were afraid before, but that was a craven fear. Before they prayed, but they didn't pray to the Lord. They prayed to their gods. But look what happens in verse 14. They cry to the Lord. And in your Bible, the word Lord should be in capital letters, that means jehovah the god of israel the Covenant god the god of grace and then notice they confess their sin that's another sign of true uh, belief and repentance and then verse 16 the men didn't have a craven fear they feared the lord they sacrificed to the lord they offered vows to the lord as we were looking at this morning these men have become new creations wonderful wonderful grace of god there are some examples from church history you know um uh, this is what one person says jonah's anti-missionary activity has resulted in the conversion of non-israelites and god can use our anti-evangelism even to bring people what a god Um, let me just give you some examples and then i'll say the amen i think it was during the 18th century if i was either george whitfield or daniel Rowland, or howell harris you can correct me at the end i've given you enough options somebody was making fun of one of those preachers they mimicked them before a crowd of young people you can imagine can't you young people doing this and you know what that man as he was making fun of one of those revival preachers was converted himself and some of the people who listened to him were converted isn't that encouraging those of us who are preachers uh maybe that's what we should do we should try mimicking (laughs) you know i i don't mean that seriously but God using crooked sticks to draw straight lines. Uh, When Wycliffe uh, translated the New Testament into English, he was in Belgium. Uh, It wasn't safe for him to be in England and he shipped the Bibles to London. And I think it was Thomas More. I think it was Thomas More who had the bright idea and he was an enemy, Thomas More. He didn't want the English New Testaments to be uh, circulated. So he had the bright idea that he would buy them all. To stop the English New Testament from going to the people and that's what he did and lo and behold because they'd all been bought Wycliffe had to print more <laughs> and send even more over and so poor Thomas More couldn't keep up God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines uh, was it Robert Germain Thomas uh, the first missionary to Korea uh, he he was a good man uh, his ship didn't, was it Robert Thomas, one of, the mission, one of the first missionaries to Korea, the ship didn't land in Korea, it was shipwrecked, and all the scriptures, uh, they kind of uh, floated on uh, the water, and the local people picked them up, and they were saved. God doesn't have to use perfect people, aren't you glad? God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines well there we go we're in the school of christ we're going to remain in the school of christ for a few weeks now but grace don't despise general grace but especially god's special grace